listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So uh, Jody's talking on the phone this week to a friend, and she says, uh, oh, uh, Brian's going to be speaking in church on Sunday, and uh, the friend says, oh, what's he going to talk about? And she says, God. So it's going to be a rather long sermon today. We're going to cover a lot uh, on that topic, but um, we're looking at this sermon series on the foundations of our faith, understanding what it is that we believe. And I want to start today just with a thought question for you. You can just sort of think to yourself about this question, but my question to get you started today is, who is God? Maybe I should ask the question differently. Maybe the question should be asked, what is God? When you look, there's a, um, the Gallup survey for... Uh, since probably for 50, 70 years now, has been asking this question of Americans, do you believe in God? And when you look at the survey results, they're actually not that much different now than they were in the 1940s when this question was first asked. About 92% of the people in America say, I believe in God. And I might say God with a lowercase g or God in quotes because it, I feel like if people really did believe in the God of the Bible, things might be a little different than what we see uh, going on in the world around us. But I want to explain a little bit about why that is. Built into who we are as fallen individuals, and let me explain that word fallen. Fallen means that uh, when Adam and Eve made that decision to disobey God, that introduced sin into the world. All of us, because we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, are born with a sin nature. Uh, it's incapable for us to avoid doing evil. We can't help ourselves. We do bad things. So we as fallen individuals, our human nature, who we are, our desire is to, our tendency is to measure God by our own standards, to define God in our own terms. So just think about that for a second. So we as human beings, uh, we make a decision to, to define God the way we want to define God. It sort of leaves you with a question, right, of who then is God? Us or God? Um, let's look at where this got started. We're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 3. This is the account of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. This is actually a picture of Satan. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the story goes on from there and uh, we know what happened. Adam and Eve eat, disobey God, eat of the fruit of the tree that they weren't supposed to have eaten of. And uh, the fall happens. They're punished, they're sent out of the garden. No longer are they in fellowship with God on an everyday basis the way they had been. But when we look at this story, we can see that the temptation of Satan came down to two things. There was a d desire to define God the way that they wanted to define God. God hadn't actually told Eve what Eve said to Satan that she, he had said. 
Uh, there was a desire to define God the way they wanted, and then the ultimate temptation is they wanted to put themselves in the place of God. And uh, that really has begun the whole thing that we still see going on in the world around us today. Uh, we actually see this lived out a little bit more in chapter 4 of uh, Genesis as well. Chapter 4, we're introduced to the, the two oldest children of Adam and Eve. Their names are Cain and Abel. Um, and uh, starting in verse 3, there's a, a little account there of what happens when they bring an offering to the Lord. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was angry and his face fell. Let's just stop there for a second. So what was it that caused the difference in these two things, right? The issue with Cain's sacrifice is that he wanted to define God by his own terms. God, I'll give you what I want to give you, and I'll give it to you in the way that I want to give you, and you better be satisfied with it. He wanted to measure God by his own standards. He wanted to define who God was. In a sense, he wanted to put himself in the place of God. Well, we started here in the beginning of the book of Genesis, and really this keeps going throughout the Bible. We keep seeing this story, and a lot of those stories that relate to people wanting to create a craft God and the way that they want to craft is done in the terms of uh, something called idolatry. Idolatry are these, make, these images that would represent certain deities, and I put that in quotes, certain gods uh, that people would choose to worship instead of the one true God. And what's interesting about it, we tend to, as we look back on those cultures, sort of laugh at their backwardness and think, oh, how could people do that? Guess what, folks? We tend to do the same thing today. We don't necessarily have little graven images that we worship, but we've defined God by our own standards. We've crafted our own types of gods, and I put that in lowercase g. I want to describe just a few of those for us uh, today. Uh, first God that we have is the uh, benevolent God. I have a picture of Santa Claus there because this is sort of who we think about with this kind of God. This God would never do anything to hurt anyone. Whenever you ask for something, he's going to give it to you. He's all loving. He never would condemn anyone. Then there's another God that we could call the fairness God. People who believe in the fairness God believe that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not really as bad as the guy that's next to me. And really, when it all is said and done, God's going to take all the good things that I do, and he's going to sort of measure out those things and weigh out the things of the bad things I do, and the good's going to outweigh the bad, and I'm going to be okay with the big guy. So that's sort of the fairness God. Third God that exists out there today is this life force God. We all have God in us. It is really... Yes. Carlos, it's just for you. <laughs> um, or Ricardo, right? Um, it's really just a life force that embodies everything in the universe. Uh, perhaps it's even counteracting some kind of negative life force. Then the fourth kind of God. This God is the angry God. This is the God that's out to get people. This is the God that people think matches up with what they have heard about the Old Testament God. This is the God who's about punishing evil and getting revenge. Then we have the distant God. This is the God that might have been involved in, in uh, the world at one time and perhaps even created it, uh, but is not involved on a daily basis uh, on what is going on now. This is sometimes called deism. It's interesting, when I was doing some research on this topic, this is actually a fairly popular idea right now. 
And it's the popular amongst uh, intellectuals. And what I think is really popular about it is when you have this idea of this distant God, it gives you a sense that there are some moral standards that other people ought to follow, that ought to guide how the rest of the world is acting. But when it comes to me and how I live my life, hey, you know what? He's not really too involved with my life. And that sort of makes a really comfortable kind of God. Um, another kind of God could be called the pop God. Um, this God is... <laughs> Uh, this God is all about supporting whatever is popular right now. He or she really fits in well with all that is going on in today's world. And this God embraces culture, tries to stay relevant, and does a great job of allowing people to couch whatever it is that they want to do in almost religious terms. Things that used to be moral standards, uh, morally wrong, are now not just seen as being okay, but are actually seen as being right, the right thing to do. That's the pop God. That's what the pop God is good for. And then finally, we have the just-in-time God. Phew. Tough stuff happens in life. And the great thing about this God is that, you know what, you can ignore this God all the time until something bad happens in your life, and then, bam, this God is there for you. So... You know, you just think about things that happen. You got sick parents. You lost a job. Your wife wants a divorce. Not sure about the future. Call on this God. The just-in-time God is there for you. But guys, guess what? The reality is that none of these gods are the God of the universe. So what can we know about the God of the universe? How do we know who God really is? Here's the reality. The only way we can know Anything about an invisible God is if that God reveals himself to us. That's the only way we can know anything about God is if he reveals himself to us. Let's just stop right now and pray that that God of the universe would reveal himself today in what we're sharing. God, we love you. We thank you that you are the one and true God, Lord, the God of the universe. Our desire is to understand you, and we know that as human beings, the only way we can understand you is if you reveal yourself to us. And Lord, I just would ask that through the words that I share, through what you're doing in the hearts and minds of people here, that you would come alive to people here, that we would understand something about you today that we don't, didn't already understand. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The good thing is, God's chosen to reveal himself to us in four ways. The first way that God reveals himself to us is through his word. And we talked about this last week, uh, Pastor Jason talked about this, uh, the fact that the Bible is God's inspired word to us. There were authors of the Bible, uh, the 66 books of the Bible, that through God's inspiration have written the exact words that God wants to communicate to us. And through those words, we can come to understand facts about the nature and character of God. So the primary way that God reveals himself to us is through his word. There are other ways, though. God reveals himself to us through his world as well. So when we look at the creation around us, when we see this world around us, it reveals something about God to us, right? We can understand parts about who God is by seeing this world around us. Third way that Jesus, or God reveals himself to us is through his son. And obviously much of what we know there is through scripture. But just think about how amazing this was. God not only was going to exist distant from us, he actually took on the form of man, came down to earth, and lived here on earth as Jesus. And in that, we can learn about the character and nature of God uh, through his son. And then finally, the fourth way that we can know God is through his work. 
So um, God is at work in this world around us. He's, he's actually interested in the affairs of men. And uh, we see God at work around us through the miracles, the healings that take place, through the activities and just the everyday lives of people. Uh, but those are the four ways, through his word, through his world, through his son, and through his work, that God makes himself and reveals himself to us. So what do these four things reveal about God uh, to us? It can be summed up in this one phrase. God is an infinite, personal God. Let's talk about that just a little bit. The infinite part of who God is is what separates God from man and the rest of his creation. The infinite part of God is the part that is where God is all-knowing. He knows everything. Uh, he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. Um, he's all-powerful. Uh, omnipotence, another word for that. Uh, God can do anything that doesn't violate his nature. He's perfectly holy, and he's all-loving. And get this, nothing that we can do in worship, nothing that we can do in service to God makes him any more or less than he already is. That's what infinity is, right? If, you, if I had an infinite amount of dollars and I give you a billion dollars, I still have an infinite amount of dollars. You can give me back the, infinite, uh, the billion dollars and I still would have an infinite number of dollars. It wouldn't change anything. That's the same way God is with us. Nothing that we do in worship of God, nothing that we can do in service of God makes him any bigger or more or less than he already is. God is an infinite God. Now, the personal part of who God is is what separates God and man from the rest of creation. When it says in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, this is the aspect of how we're made in God's image. We as human beings are separated from the rest of creation because we, out of all of creation, are the part of creation that's made in God's image. Uh, think about some of the ways that that's true. Like God, we are relational. God's made us to be in relationship with him. God's made us to be in relationship with one another. Because we're made in God's image, we're capable of love. Uh, because we're made in God's image, we have creative capability or capacity ourselves. Because we're made in God's image, man has the ability to, do, to make deductive and inductive decisions that show higher order thinking skills. Uh, these are all realities because we are made in God's image. When you put all this together, the reality is, is that um, this idea, this, the, the infinite personal God is what accurately describes the world that we see around us. It provides the best possible answer to the questions that humans ask about why we are here and what is our purpose, what happens when we die, and so on. I want to go back just for a moment, though, to that verse, uh, Genesis 1.26, because it introduces something about the nature of God that is really hard to understand and, really, and, and can be considered really complex, and it's going to be where we focus the remainder of our time. So we have this idea of God, singular, right? And it says, then God said, well, who in the world is God talking to? There's nobody around yet, right? So it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them, and it goes on and describes so we have this really confusing idea that's introduced in this passage, right? Let us. Who's us? And this is going to be the theological foundational concept that we're going to look at today. And it's this idea of Trinity. The fact that there is one God who reveals himself to us in three distinct persons. of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
that's who's in communication in that passage. That's who is in relationship already. And an example showing us of perfect love uh, is the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There are people, particularly non-believers, who really struggle with this concept of the Trinity. Um, They actually will sometimes accuse Christians of being polytheists, which just means people who worship more than one God. But as we look at this, I want you to think about two things before we start uh, that will help us understand uh, this particular point. Let's give it a little bit of context. To remember first that God is infinite. The fact that we can only understand infinity in portions and in only how it is revealed to us should not be surprising. And this is my inner Ricardo right here. But um, just picture if you were given an infinite set of numbers, right? And out of that set of numbers, somebody handed you three numbers, three, nine, and 27, and said, hey, here you go. This is all you can know about this infinity because you can't possibly grasp infinity, but I'm going to give you these three numbers, three, nine, and 27. Now, we would know a fair amount about those numbers just from the relationship with the other. They were linked together, but at the same time, they look pretty different and distinctive than one another as well. And that's a little bit like what it is when God reveals himself. The infinite God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons look very different from one another, but yet are all one, all part of that infinite God. And uh, we can understand a little bit from that why it's confusing for us as well. Um, Second point that I said is that earlier we talked about this point that the only way to understand an invisible God is through what he reveals to us particularly through his word. So if we go to his word and we find evidence that each part of the Trinity is God and that all parts of the Trinity are separately identifiable and equal, then we can conclude that God is indeed Trinity, three in one. Let me just say that again because what we're really gonna do for the next uh, few minutes here is going to be an experiment, uh, a thought process that helps us get at proving the fact that the the scriptures point to a God that really is indeed Trinity, three in one. So we're going to look for evidence that each part of the Trinity is God and that all parts of the Trinity are separately identifiable and equal. So we have two specific relationships to prove. We can put them in sort of mathematical uh, terms. So the first one is that Jesus equals God. So that's the first relationship we're going to seek to prove. The second one we're going to look to prove is that the Holy Spirit equals God. Because if we do that, then we've proven that all parts of the Trinity are indeed God. Now, there are many scripture passages that that make both of these points. But we're going to look specifically at one for each of these. So, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 9. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, for in him, now if you look back, you see that the last word of verse 8 is Christ. So in him, meaning Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity, all of God, dwells bodily. So we've, now we've looked at this, we've seen that Jesus does indeed equal God. How about the second part of this, this question of whether the Holy Spirit is indeed God as well? Another passage to look at for that is Acts chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4. Just to give it a little bit of context, in the early church, uh, people had been taking their earthly possessions and selling them and giving to uh, people in the congregation, giving to the church, actually, who would help uh, give to people that were in need. 
um, a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, had a piece of property that they decided to sell, and they were going to give that money to the church. And uh, in doing so, it wasn't a problem that they were doing it. It wasn't a problem that they didn't do it right. The problem was is that they lied and said that they had given the church, the elders, all of the money when in fact they had actually held back some of it. So let's watch and see what Peter's response was. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself parts of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain yours? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So in verse 3, we see that Peter describes it as lying to the Holy Spirit. Same exact lie in verse 5, and it's being described by Peter as being a lie to God. Therefore, we can now go back and prove the relationship that we said earlier, that the Holy Spirit does indeed equal God. So now we've looked at those two relationships. We've seen that Jesus is equal to God. Holy Spirit is equal to God. Now we have to see that the three persons of the uh, the Trinity are distinct, yet one. And we're going to look at three scripture passages uh, to show that. And the first one can be found in Matthew chapter 3. And this is the account of Jesus uh, being baptized. So he comes to John the Baptist, asks him to be baptized. John's a little bit reluctant at first, agrees to do it. And this is what we see uh, starting in verse uh, 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with with whom I am well pleased. So here we see in the story of Jesus' baptism, all three parts of the Trinity distinctly, right? The voice from heaven, that's God the Father. The Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove, and then Christ himself, uh, the Son, uh, being baptized. So in that baptism, we actually see all three parts of the Trinity. Um, Another passage that shows this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 4 to 6. And what this is going to show us that the earlier passage didn't necessarily show us is that all three parts of the Trinity are one and that they're all equal. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So Spirit, verse 4, Lord, which is the word for Christ, Jesus, uh, in verse 5, And then God in verse 6. All three parts of the Trinity, all involved with the work that God is doing, in all separate but seen as being equal in what they do. And then uh, the last passage that we'll look at related to this is in Titus chapter 3. And this is in verses 4 to 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So here we have this picture, this description of salvation. So remember I described earlier that we're lost 
uh, individuals or fallen individuals that God desired us to be in relationship with him. And so rather than anything that we do making the difference that allows us to have a relationship with God, instead he sent his son and his son makes possible that relationship. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, he took on us all the way to the sin of the world. He took on my sin, he took on your sin, and by doing that, when we accept the work that he's done, God has, sends his Holy Spirit to reside in, within us. He renews that Holy Spirit within us. And so you have this picture of salvation where all three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are part of that, uh, of each of our salvation, the, uh, the ability that we have to have a relationship with God. So yes, Trinity is a difficult concept, hard to understand, uh, but I think hopefully today that you've seen that the God that reveals himself through his word is indeed a, God, a Trinity God, a God that is seen in three separate persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, but seen in three different uh, persons. I want to finish there, and as we, uh, the worship team will come up and Pastor Jason will come up and close in prayer, but I want to, I want to leave you with just a little bit of a challenge Earlier, I talked about this. Earlier in the sermon, we talked about the fact that our tendency as human beings is to want to measure God by our own standards, to define God for ourselves, and essentially put ourselves in the position of God and define God in another kind of way that makes him a lot less than who he really is. I want to challenge us today. If you're here today and that's what you've been doing with God, I want today to be the day that's different for you. I want today to be the day where you say, God of the universe, I want to know who you are. Reveal yourself to me. Spend time in his word. Get to know who God is because in that process, God will reveal himself to you. Um, and when you do that, it's a wonderful, amazing thing because the God of the universe made you to be in relationship with him. He desires a relationship with you. The lostness, the emptiness, the brokenness that's part of life in this fallen world can be changed by restoring that relationship with God. So don't leave here today without getting to know the God of the universe. Thank you. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.